I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello and welcome to the Times Business Podcast, where we look ahead to some of the events at least that will move markets in the coming days. I'm Robert Miller. This week, we'll be talking Brexit. And we'll be finding out whether now is the time to buy your winter heating fuel. And we'll be taking the temperature on the high street also. I'm joined by Robin Pagnamento, The Times business editor. Bruno Waterfield joins us on the line from Brussels. And Alex Ralph is here in the studio. He's our Times stock market reporter. Welcome to you all. Thanks for being here. Now, we all remember a week ago, we knew that Brexit meant Brexit because the Prime Minister told us so. Now... We have a rough date for triggering Article 50, and Theresa May has given her first speech as leader to the annual Conservative Party conference in Birmingham. Here's a clip of what she had to say first. People voted for change, and a change is going to come. Because as we leave the European Union and take control of our own destiny, the task of tackling some of Britain's long-standing challenges, like how to train enough people to do the jobs of the future, becomes ever more urgent. But change has got to come too, because of the quiet revolution that took place in our country just three months ago. Robin, uh, first of all, uh, it's not a quiet revolution anymore. You've been talking to business leaders, gauging the reaction. What have you learned so far since that speech? Are they happier, sadder? Uh, Well, I think it's very interesting. I mean, I think, um, you know, there's been a sort of series of phases that we've been through since June 23rd. I think, you know, obviously there was the initial shock um, about the decision. And then we've had a sort of quite a lengthy period over the summer, which was a bit of a phony war, really, when um, uh, people were talking about, you know, was Brexit really going to happen? You know, it couldn't, maybe it won't happen for, for years and years. Uh, and I think that, you know, certainly some people were, you know, th- this speech and, and what's happened in the past few days has really been a big wake up call. Uh, we've now got a timeline, you know, it is going to happen. And I think there is, uh, you know, people are suddenly really going into an intensive sort of planning uh, stage and are, are now starting to think about the various contingencies, what they're going to have to do as businesses. And it's it suddenly very feels very real. And so I think that's, you know, that's where we are. I think, um, you know, people are having you know, very serious, detailed discussions about what's going to happen, how their individual businesses are going to be affected. And I think probably what we're going to see now is, you know, increasingly 
businesses taking concrete decisions, um, you know, and, and that will intensify once the negotiations begin and we start to get a real uh, clear sense of how it's going to shake down. Do you get a feeling, though, of almost reluctance on the part of some business leaders to come out and, and, and speak their innermost thoughts for fear that if they are negative about the Brexit process, they're going to be pilloried for it? Yes, absolutely. I think that... Um, uh, you know, obviously, uh, people were very vocal in the run-up to, to Brexit uh, since then, and particularly uh, in the last couple of weeks, I think we've seen um, a, a growing sort of reticence. Uh, I think that a lot of businesses just don't want to be seen to be standing in the way of this, and they don't want to be seen to be standing in the way of the new Prime Minister, you know, a, a new a pro-Brexit administration, um, but you, you speak to business people privately, and they, they you know, are, many of them are uh, are quite alarmed and are, and are much more worried. Bruno, let me bring you in here from from Brussels. Uh, now the UK has set a rough date. What's the word in the EU corridors of power over there? It's about time too. I think is the sentiment, and of course, it's not any time soon. It's uh, as she said, by the end uh, of next March for the summit um, in the second week of, week of uh, March, March the 9th, and so people are hoping that she will notify Article 50 in the jargon, that's the EU's exit clause, um, for that summit, and people are hoping that that letter won't just be sort of a, a two-liner, you know, we're triggering it and going, um, but she will spell out um, roughly what um, Britain uh, wants, and she set out in very, very general terms um, in both her conference um, speeches a little of that where she put priority on her government's um, intention um, to be in control of migration and very very significantly she said twice that she did not want a role for the EU courts um, in oversight of immigration um, or law and that seems to be uh, taking um, Britain um, away from uh, membership of the single market, most certainly. Robin, if I could bring you in there, on, on that point, this single passporting, it doesn't seem to be a runner, or this ability to cross-sell into Europe, is, is that is really going to hit the city hard, isn't it? Uh, yes, I think it will hit the city hard. Um, I mean, obviously, I think that the other thing that's going on at the moment is there just is a growing realisation that... Um, uh, you know, there's this this term of a hard Brexit does look like the the most likely the most likely scenario, um, and you know that that's um, that's alarming a lot of people, and probably in the city of London more than just about anywhere else. Bruno, this Brexit. I mean, the idea you mentioned immigration, and it's hard to talk about that. We switch from immigration to single passporting of financial services, but I get the feeling that the, certainly the Germans and the French are forging an alliance basically to say to Britain, you can't have those rights if you don't sign up to the, the four significant points of the whole EU treaty. Yeah, I mean, that's the, 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 the EU 27 is holding the line pretty clearly at the moment, but the negotiations haven't started. Um, it's holding the line pretty clearly that the single market is indivisible. The four freedoms are indivisible. They can't be separated from each other. And the fourth freedom, the one that's difficult um, for Britain, is the freedom of movement um, for Labour. But, of course, there is actually quite a big difference between freedom of movement uh, for Labour um, and EU citizenship. So some of these sort of areas are a, a, a bit unclear. There is um, some uh, wriggle room. Um, but when you've got that wriggle room on, on uh, limitations, work permits or whatever um, for freedom of 
for European migrant workers, you've then got the question, what role will the EU courts um, play? And I suspect it will be the role of the EU courts um, that will hinge the whole question of Britain's relationship, will hinge on that. For example, it is certainly the case that British financial institutions would not be given uh, passporting if the EU courts wasn't su- if the EU courts were not supervising that arrangement. Yeah, I mean, and, and certainly it's this fear of the hard Brexit which which rattled um, the city this week, and we saw that very much in the currency markets um, and also in the in the. Is that the markets. primary thing that you, that's driving sterling down then? It certainly was on Monday when it um, when it hit fresh thirty one year lows, and and we're still seeing that playing out this afternoon where it's gone. Uh, this morning, in fact, it went below um, one dollar twenty-seven. So, um, it is that fear and the uncertainty which is which is driving the pound lower. Um, and as we've seen, conversely, it's it's lifted the FTSE 100 up to, to record highs because of the number of international companies in that index. I think the um, the the challenge now for sterling is we're just looking at such an extended period of uncertainty. As everyone knows, markets don't like uncertainty. Uh, we've now got, you know, a six-month period before negotiations actually begin. And, you know, I think there's a lot of concern that the pound has, you know, may have significantly further to fall just because um, because of that uncertainty. One of the things I think we need to be quite careful about is, is these sort of terms that are entering into use like um, hard Brexit. It means different things for different people. Now, for people and some people in the city, it means if there isn't EU passporting, that's um, a hard... Uh, Brexit in, for diplomats, it means that at the end of the two years, a hard Brexit would be no agreement, which means that Britain is out, there is no uh, arrangement for trade, let alone uh, passporting, and you have a disorderly exit. And that's what hard Brexit means in the diplomatic world, but for people in the city. So I think it's, 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 it's quite important to be clear about these terms, because the, word, the term hard Brexit has now taken on the city meaning and in a way that's part of the sort of lobbying um, of the uh, financial services industry in Britain which is setting the terms um, of the debate quite carefully um, and quite uh, in a low profile while, but it, way but it is setting the terms. Do you think Bruno that the EU will bend over backwards to help us but bearing in mind of course I suppose they've got their own electoral battles haven't they? Uh, I think the mood has hardened I think the mood has particularly hardened Um, in Berlin. I think Berlin was more sympathetic in the uh, immediate aftermath um, of the uh, referendum. I think that has hardened because Merkel, Hollande, but Merkel particularly, um, is now just concerned about keeping the European Union um, together. And she knows that if she lets Britain have any kind of advantageous uh, terms, then the EU could quite literally um, fall apart because the divisions between East and West, north and south over migration, the eurozone, austerity, freedom of movement are, are pretty um, profound. And so she's just wanna, she just wants to um, hold uh, the line. And I'm afraid that holding the line um, is going to is, is gonna be her, her primary concern, uh, not giving a good or comfortable deal to uh, Theresa May or the City of London. I mean, the other factor which, um, uh, which we haven't discussed is the the electoral cycle uh, in France and Germany and the impact that that may have and the fact that, you know, some of the key decision makers uh, in the Brexit negotiations may well, you know, uh, be entirely different uh, within, you know, nine months. uh, And that may change the entire complexion of of the debate. I I mean, certainly in in France, I mean, uh, the the presidential elections next spring, there'll be um, a a new president who probably isn't 
um, Hollande, and that's going to have to uh, uh, bed in. But I think in the beginning of the negotiations, um, uh, that won't really have an impact. Although there is a danger that with May announcing Article 50, the exit, um, in the heat of French presidential elections, that people could say things, could take positions that are hard to uh, row uh, back from. I mean, one... Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Element of continuity is Merkel, who will almost certainly um, be re-elected um, as German chancellor. I think she's very much taken on her Queen of Europe um, uh, role, and she sees that. As, as holding the line because the French presidential elections are, are going to be messy. A truly national treasure, I think she's become, hasn't she, Bruno? Um, I, I, yes. I mean, I mean, at the end of the day, um, Angela Merkel's primary, primary goal is, is, is to survive uh, politically. Um, but after that, her primary goal is, is stability and keeping the EU um, as much as she can as it is. Um, Britain has decided to leave and her attention is going to be on holding the EU together. Uh, she's not going to be that bothered um, about uh, Theresa May, I'm afraid. All right, well, sit tight there for a moment. We're going to take a short break. But just to remind you, we do have now a special Brexit team of which Bruno is in Brussels is a very integral part. You can uh, sign up to our Brexit briefing even on uh, thetimes.co.uk. That's well worth a look. and It'll keep up to date with all the events as they unfold. When we return, we're going to be looking at the price of oil and where it might be headed. The Times Business Podcast is sponsored by Vodafone's Ready Business Britain. 2016 has been branded the year of the SME. This is your year. Time for your business to stand out. Are you ready? Vodafone's Ready Business Britain, in association with The Times and Sunday Times, has all the advice, insight and analysis your business needs to make this your year. Get ready. Visit readybusinessbritain.co.uk. Now, oil's been rising steadily since an informal meeting between members of the OPEC producers cartel and non-members, including Russia, in Algiers last month. This is how the OPEC president, Dr. Mohammed bin Salah al sadr broke the news. We came up with um, a way forward 
that is to uh, consider targeting 32.5 to 33 million barrel per day. Uh, Robin, just briefly, I mean, explain what that cut would mean in in relation to to, to global output and and the supposed supply glut and how is this agreement if ever going to be implemented well that's a very good question this was the first opec uh, decision to cut uh, since 2008 so it was quite historic uh, but it was an informal meeting uh, and not a not a sort of scheduled formal meeting of opec and we had no detail of how this cut was actually going to be to be made so it was a rather unusual statement from opec uh, and we'll have to wait until the end of November before we actually get the details of, you know, which of the 14 member states are going to cut and by how much. Um, and since that announcement was made, there has been a sort of growing sense of scepticism about the ease with which uh, the organisation will actually be able to execute this this cut. It's a proposed cut of about 0.7 million barrels a day. Global production is somewhere north of 90 million barrels a day. So it's a significant but not a huge cut. And we are now facing a sort of, there is a a colossal glut of oil that's been building up over the past couple of years. There is a a sense of scepticism, really. Um, First of all, whether they're going to, you know, in the past, OPEC has had great difficulty actually pushing through these cuts often because some members cheat. Uh, You know, others uh, dress up their production cuts as, um, they they dress up production problems as production cuts this kind of thing there's a lot of um, uh, there's a lot of um, interpretation uh, that goes on Um, in general it's the Saudis who would be expected to you know shoulder the 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 greatest burden and probably cut you know uh, more than half of that um, as as OPEC's sort of kingpin producer but Saudi production is seasonal and Saudi tends to produce more oil in the summer uh, because of domestic demand for energy in the summer goes up in Saudi Arabia to meet um, air conditioning and, and cooling demand. So uh, there is a natural fall off in Saudi production at the end of the summer. Uh, usually in August, September, Saudi production drops. So there may be an element of you know, Saudi willingness to, to uh, acquiesce to, to a cut, knowing full well that it's, it's, you know, uh, its seasonal production will be falling anyway towards the end of the year. So there's a lot going on. And at the same time, you've got other things going on outside of OPEC. Uh, The Russians, uh, who are not members of OPEC, um, you know, and are already producing at or very close to record uh, output uh, since the collapse of the Soviet Union, uh, they may well seek to take advantage of, of, of any cuts that that OPEC announces. Um, And then we've got other other issues such as, for example, there's a gigantic oil field in Kazakhstan called Kashagan, uh, which is just about to go into production. It's been, um, it's been sort of gearing up for commissioning over a period of years. There've been a lot of problems with it. It was a project that was initially sanctioned, you know, 15 years ago, and it's finally coming on. And that will eventually, uh, probably within a year or two, be producing about half a million barrels a day. So that alone would would wipe out most of OPEC's proposed cut. So there is a lot of scepticism about. Um, about this announcement we'll see in november how it's going to work um, but in general it doesn't it, you know many people don't really think it's going to make a significant difference uh in in the medium term to the the, the glut of oil that, that you know that, that exists globally alex yeah i mean and certainly oil traders have been 
you know, as ever, second guessing every utterance that comes out from a member of OPEC or or um, a producer outside of that cartel. But there certainly has been a sense of scepticism, as Robin says, which has been creeping in since um, that informal meeting. But regardless of that, the price of oil is is rising again now, and and this week it's been it's been pushing up above fifty two dollars a barrel. So I think there is um, some people are slightly optimistic that there might be some some detail hammered out next month. Bruno, looking at the wider energy picture across Europe, of course, a lot of the energy our energy needs are met by supplies from Europe, aren't there? Is there any concern there about uh, OPEC? Um, well, I think there is. I mean, I think one of the, the concerns that that, that that I pick up when asking people about this um, debate is that, that because of the uh, because of low prices, there's been something of a freeze um, in investments in infrastructure, um, and that is a really um, major uh, concern because um, there have been long-standing um, fears that the um, infrastructure, the pipelines and storage simply um, in, in Europe and in Britain as well simply um, isn't um, up, up, up to the job. So I think that's the, the long-standing uh, concern is the, this lack of um, investment, but also as well in Europe, I mean, the, 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 there is this sort of knowledge, uh, well, not knowledge, um, this understanding that, that Europe is very much uh, the European economy, uh, European economies um, are very much the, uh, very much vulnerable um, to uh, developments in world trade, and developments in world uh, trade are vulnerable um, to oil prices at the moment. Well, overall, I'm getting the impression it might be quicker to buy my heating oil now. Hey, let's move on finally to retail sales. Well, there's a retail sales monitor, I should say, out from the British Retail Consortium you should look out for. And there are also going to be updates from Unilever, the consumer giant. But Alex, Ralph, if I could ask you, looking at the retail sector as a whole, we've been talking, if you, if you like, about the big picture. But how are consumers feeling about all, all the macro events that, that we've been talking about? Yeah, I mean, we've, we've yet to see a real dent in consumer confidence. I, I still think there's a sense that it's ticking along fairly robustly. The biggest concern for, certainly for the high street retailers at the moment, is the, is the weather we've been having, which has been unseasonably warm, as, as they're very fond of saying, and, and it's often a very handy excuse, but it does, that does seem to be having an impact in share prices and, and also in trading. We could see a few companies warning over the, over the autumn if they struggle to shift some of these coats and boots. Yes, I mean, it seems that um, UK consumers, at any rate, have been remarkably sort of upbeat, um, given all of the uncertainty around Brexit since uh, since June 23rd. But I, I can't help wondering, you know, how long that's going to last, because it seems to me that inevitably now we're going to see uh, sort of, uh, at the very least, uh, kind of slow down, uh, more likely a freeze in, in investment from many businesses. And, you know, when that starts to really feed into the real economy. Uh, I just wonder, you know, how long it's going to last before consumers get more rattled. Bruno, over in, in Europe, of course, they're like here, I suppose, the security fears and many of the same issues, whether it's the global issues, trade, energy prices. How do you feel consumer confidence is holding up over there on the continent? Well, it's been, uh, retail trade's been looking, um, you know, um, uh, pretty good over the last two years. It's been sort of ticking uh, ticking uh, upwards, although it did uh, dip um, in in uh, August, which people are a bit um, concerned about. But it's basically year on year um, about 0.6% uh, up in the euro area and about just over 2% um, across um, the EU. But I think, again, you know, underlying um, figures, as in Britain, is this 
growing sense um, of unease about the vulnerability um, of the economy, not just to any shocks that Brexit uh, might uh, uh, bring. And, you know, if Britain gets a, a cold, um, Europe's going to feel pretty um, ill too, but um, particularly some of the concerns um, about uh, European uh, uh, banks and the whole Deutsche Banker uh, Deutsche Bank uh, saga have really, you know, there's real concern that all is not well. Thanks for that, Bruno, and thank you all. That's about it for now. But remember, you can keep up to date with all those events we were talking about uh, online, uh, on your phone, and uh, of course in the paper. If you're a Times subscriber, you can sign up to, or if you haven't already, sign up to our daily morning and lunchtime business emails. And if you don't have a subscription, just simply go to thetimes.co.uk where you can find a special £1 offer. If you want to hear us weekly, do subscribe through iTunes. My thanks to Bruno Waterfield in Brussels and in the studio, Robin Pagnamenta and Alex Ralph. They're all on Twitter, so please do follow them if you're not already. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.